Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the lineup on Yahoo Sports. That's Wesley Chang. I'm Steven Sahoyas, and we're going to take a look back at all of the fantasy football implications from week one across the National Football League. And, Wes, it was so nice to be sitting back on the couch, relaxing, watching some NFL football. Finally, it's back, and we'll start off talking about the week one top performances when we do our review of week one, and it was Devontae Adams who just really went off against a poor-looking Minnesota Vikings secondary. Yeah, Adams had a ton of wide receiver one buzz coming into the season, and he did not disappoint with the first matchup against the Vikings. uh, 14 of 16 targets collected by him, two touchdowns. He was incredibly efficient with his looks. But the bigger thing I thought to take away from this game was how efficient Aaron Rodgers was with his throws. He uh, was able to hit his deep throws when he needed to. And with Adams, he was able to get him towards his intermediary routes when he had the chance. So I think if he can continue that pace, Adams for sure is going to become a conversation for the wide out one position. And do you think he can continue that pace? You know, he was the target hog in this offense, but can he keep that up throughout the entire course of the season? Or do you see someone else emerging? A lot of 200 target buzz coming his way. Um, obviously, it's going to get scaled down just a bit, a little tiny regression, but I think Adams is shown in week one. He will very likely, at worst, be the number one on the season in terms of target volume. Would he hit 200? I, I don't know. But he should be right up there uh, amongst the top. Yeah, Michael Thomas led the NFL with 185 targets last season, so it would be an even bigger bump for Adams to do that. But let's move on. And the MVP hype trains are already in full steam west, heading down the track for Josh Allen and Kyler Murray. And rightfully so. Both young quarterbacks played really well this weekend, but especially Kyler Murray against a very tough 49ers defense. Hey, I'll go on the record of saying I took the under on Murray. I thought it was going to take some time for him to get assimilated with his new receiving core. And it was coming against a San Francisco team that obviously is defensively very sound. The biggest takeaway from Murray's performance has less to do with his passing, but how um, good his decision-making was with his rushing looks. The biggest stat I actually thought was cool to pull from week one, next-gen stats show that Kyler Murray was actually, he registered the 19th fasted top speed amongst all players on both sides of the ball this, uh, this first weekend. And he was clearly the fastest quarterback out of the group. So that's something very interesting to look out for, to see how uh, advantageous he is with those opportunities in the weeks to come. Yeah, and one thing to notice, too, about Murray is how well he does at protecting himself. He rarely took a hit from that 49ers defense. He was sliding a lot or running out of bounds, making sure he stayed protected. Something I noticed Josh Allen didn't do a very good job of against the Jets. He was taking a lot of hits, so that's something that he's going to have to work on so he can play a full season in order to be in the MVP conversation. And someone else who's looking to throw their name in that conversation too, Russell Wilson. Hashtag let Russ cook was in full effect against the Atlanta Falcons. He was throwing the ball a lot. Yeah, for me, the most impressive performance I said was Rodgers, but Wilson has to be right up there as, you know, uh, 1A, 1B. Uh, I think the biggest takeaway was talking about the split between running versus passing. Yeah, I love Russ Cook. Well, here's the stats that you need to know. In 2018, they had a pass, pass run ratio of 52%. In this past game, 
they had a 64% pass to run ratio. The best example of this was on a fourth and five situation where it was only a two point game. They got, they let Russ run the play and drop that dime in for DK Metcalf for the touchdown. I thought that is prime, uh, a prime example of them actually letting Russ have kind of the keys to the kingdom. Um, that play really amplifies what you want to take away from this change in philosophy for Russ in a fantasy standpoint. If they keep giving him those aggressive play calling opportunities, Russ, I mean, who knows? The, the sky's the limit for him, knowing his talent. Agreed. And I don't know if this is because the Falcons' secondary looked poor, but DK Metcalf was almost unstoppable one-on-one. And when you have Tyler Lockett, who can run so well underneath on those slants and those cross routes, he's got two really good wide receivers to throw the ball to in that offense. And they even sprinkled in Greg Olson a little bit on a touchdown pass. So that offense, especially the passing attack, even getting the running backs involved, looked really good. A team that didn't look good at all this weekend, though, were the Cleveland Browns. They were demolished by the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore had their way with Cleveland from start to finish. But one thing fantasy managers are definitely looking at is the opportunity share between Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And it was actually Kareem Hunt who not only out-snapped, or excuse me, out-carried Nick Chubb, he also out-touched him in that game as well. So something to be a little concerned about if you have Nick Chubb. Well, uh, we always talk about game script, positive, negative game script. And so this was just a game script that fit Kareem Hunt's skill set more than Chubb. Uh, I came into the season saying to you, both running backs, in my opinion, are extremely qualified. This is the best uh, uh, backfield in the entire NFL, in my opinion. But Hunt, he's no slouch, right? So them playing from behind the whole, uh, the whole game, it really fit his narrative in this offense. Um, but the bigger point I, I really want to draw some attention to, I was also very bearish on OBJ coming into the season. And it had less to do with his skill set, more so Baker Mayfield's ability to throw him, uh, throw him the ball with accuracy. But after week one, PFF had OBJ ranked as the 91st out of 93 qualified wide receivers. So that gets me equally concerned on top of Baker's lack of accuracy. This offense as a whole has a lot to figure out heading into week two. Yeah, Beckham only had three receptions on 10 targets, but that's something I think that also has to do with Baltimore's secondary. That's a really good unit. So I think in a matchup this week against the Bengals, look for OBJ to be a prime bounce-back candidate. One other big development from this weekend's games was the performance of Josh Jacobs. Yeah, it was nice that he scored three touchdowns, but what has me excited as a Josh Jacobs fantasy manager is how involved he was in the passing game. His first ever yeah. four-reception game in the NFL, and that's what fantasy managers want to see. Yeah, they've been pumping him up all offseason, talking about how they want to get him more involved. So this is what you hope for with Jacobs and when it comes to his upside. Obviously, he finished week one with the RB1 uh, status. He was very impressive with his routes and with the receiving uh, routes that he ran. But I do want to, you know, kind of pump the brakes just a little bit. When you talk about strength of schedule, his next three games are all up against very tough defenses. He's got the Saints, he's got the Pats, and he's got the Bills. So even though he is RB1 after week one, I think you're going to see a slight regression back to, you know, 
what people where people were drafting him, kind of like mid the mid RB tier. But bye week comes not too long after that, and I think he's the type of guy who second half of the season you can really start to see him kind of grow into this role. To zone more live football than anyone else. Stream exclusive Premier League and UEFA Champions League. Stream every NFL game, including the Super Bowl. Plus, exclusive Red Zone. Showing you every touchdown, every Sunday. DAZN. Start your free trial at DAZN.com and stream on multiple devices. More live football than anyone else. D-A-Z-N. DAZN. Welcome back to the lineup on Yahoo Sports. And now we're going to dig into the waiver wire. Here are some players that you should be trying to add in your fantasy football league. And Wes, let's start right at one of the players who I think really impressed this week. And that was Naheem Hines of the Indianapolis Colts. He stepped up even before Marlon Mack got injured, scoring two touchdowns in that game against the Jaguars. He should definitely be one of the top priority ads on the waiver wire this week. In an ideal world, I'd be able to tell you to go grab Jonathan Taylor, but he's drafted in pretty much every one of your leagues. So with Hines, what the big takeaway from this game was seeing how Phillip Rivers actually operated as the new quarterback for this team. And so we joke about Phillip check down King Rivers, and he did not disappoint. So looking at a guy like Hines, think about the situation uh, in L.A. the season before with Eckler and with Gordon and thinking about how many receptions went to the backfield. This is a great spot for Hines, where even if he's not the lead back, he's going to get a lot of these third down, check down looks, where uh, from a PPR standpoint, he's ultimately going to give you enough receptions that he'll have some uh, high floor of value week in, week out. Yeah, even though Taylor also looked good in the passing game, I still think you're going to see a heavy dosage of Naheem Hines as well. Moving on now, Malcolm Brown, another running back who's in a committee that really impressed this week against the Dallas Cowboys. Is he someone that you're looking to add and plug right into your lineup? Or are you taking more of a wait-and-see approach with Malcolm Brown? With Malcolm Brown, if you have the space, I'd say get him onto your roster. The main thing that really jumped out was how many red zone looks and touches he got on the offense. The team ended up having 10 looks the entire game, and four of them went to Brown. So he's getting the most valuable looks as a running back in this offense. But the biggest thing is to the question mark on Henderson. He, he suited up for this game, and he took a few snaps. And they've said that they want to get him regularly involved in the offense. So uh, I do feel a little ambiguity in terms of what the rules are going to be for everybody. But for the time being, Malcolm Brown got the most valuable touches. He's the one that you got to roll the dice with at this point. I'm, I'm all for adding Malcolm Brown, but I definitely am not putting him right into my lineup because we know this team drafted Cam Akers early in the previous draft, so it would not shock me at all if they start giving Akers more and more looks. Moving forward now, the wide receiver position. Sammy Watkins is owned or rostered in under just 50% of Yahoo leagues. He's at 49% right now. Do you think Sammy Watkins is someone who can sustain what we saw from him week one as the Chiefs' clear number three option in the passing game? Well, his value was so low coming into the season because everybody thought it was going to be a hardman leap and he was going to uh, kind of elevate to the wide out two position on this team. But look at the snap counts. That's a very telling sign of where they're going. Sammy Watkins played 80% of the snaps. Hardman was out there for just 29. 
So uh, on top of the fact that Watkins was a target leader across the entire receiving core, he was getting all of the red zone looks. He had four red zone targets on the team, easily the highest. And as we always talk about with fantasy, you want to cherry pick the opportunities that have the highest value and red zone looks for uh, wide receivers, obviously super valuable. Running backs inside the five yard line carries are valuable. Watkins should be able to continue this. He was, you know, on a few occasions, he was the first option for Mahomes. So that's something to look into. Now moving forward to another running back in a committee, but someone who I thought played really well for a fourth round pick in this previous draft, that was Joshua Kelly of the Los Angeles Chargers. He was a real thorn in the side of Austin Eckler fantasy managers this past weekend. The number one stat I want to share with you, if you take any way from this waiver wire, PFF had Kelly ranked as the number four running back in week one. That's glowing praise for a rookie running back coming into this offense. The other thing you should be aware of for how the Chargers play this game, there was only one pass um, to the backfield this week. So Eckler suddenly not getting the same type of looks he had with check down King Rivers. So all of a sudden, this offense looks like they're going to be having a little bit more of a traditional game plan when it comes to the running backs. And Kelly, admittedly, was the better of the two when it came to pure running plays. So Kelly's somebody I would say to keep an eye on, and he could very much, uh, there's a, a reasonable probability that he ends up going 50-50 on the snap counts with Eckler moving forward. Yeah, and he was getting all the goal line work too, as we know, a profitable position to be in for fantasy managers. Moving forward now to the last player we're going to talk about, and someone who really should be right near the top, if not at the top of fantasy managers' waiver priority, and that's Benny Snell Jr. of the Pittsburgh Steelers. When James Conner exited Monday night's game with an ankle injury, Benny Snell looked impressive, rumbling for 118 yards on 19 carries. He did have one fumble, but Wes, you gotta like what was put out there from Benny Snell Jr. The two things that jump out. Number one, pure eye test. Benny Snell looked very fast and he was really breaking through a lot of those tackles he had right at the line. But the second takeaway, the Steelers offense looks like they might be back. And if this offense is humming the way they were last night, Snell is gonna be the beneficiary here. Connor, we know he has injury history. We've talked about it coming into the season. So my feeling is that they do end up kind of load managing him moving forward to keep him fresh. And that'll ultimately open the door for Snell to get at worst some RB3 flex value going forward. Yeah, with Connor's injury history, as you mentioned, you should have probably had Benny Snell Jr. on your roster already anyways. But now you've really got to scramble and hope you can scoop him up off the waiver wire. This is the lineup on Yahoo Sports, and Wes and I, we made some predictions, some over-under predictions on five players that we thought would either hit over or under their Yahoo prediction, and well, it didn't work out too well for either of us this past weekend, both of us going two for five, and Wes, the first player you want to talk about is Chris Godwin, who you would have thought he would have been able to take advantage of Mike Evans not being 100% but he just couldn't get the volume to get there. So my pick for a Godwin was after the Evans news was released. So there is a lesson to be learned here. And, you know, just because, you know, the one, the one B to the one A, 
uh, ends up out, it doesn't mean that all the target volume suddenly goes to the 1A. What we learned in this situation was that the, like, the targets ended up getting spread around everywhere. But more specifically to this Tampa Bay offense as a whole, I think the learning here is that the chemistry is going to take a bit more time than we thought. Or maybe everybody did thought, and I was just wrong. But they didn't have any preseason games. This is a strange season for them. So for Brady to kind of get some work in here, it's going to take some time. He threw to 10 different receivers in his group this, uh, this past week. So I thought Godwin would kind of target volume a lot of those looks. It didn't end up being that way. The offense as a whole struggled. They looked a little, everybody looked a little bit lost. So I'm hoping with a week two matchup against the Panthers that Brady, Godwin, and everybody in this offense has a chance to have a good bounce back. But as I mentioned, I wasn't the only one who went two and three. You did as well. So tell us about <laughs> at least the pick that you got right. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going for the much more, you know, better looking route. And I went with someone who I actually got right. And that was Dallas Goddard of the Philadelphia Eagles. And you know what? Let's make, this isn't even a bold prediction, I think. I think Dallas Goddard could end the year as the Eagles' leading receiver. We saw how volatile Deshaun Jackson can be this past weekend with his performance. And Jalen Rager, the rookie, looks like he's going to need some time before he can really establish himself in this offense. And Goddard was Wentz's go-to tar target in this game. He led the Eagles in targets. He led them in receptions. And he also led them in receiving yards. He looked really good against Washington this weekend. And Wentz, who had a bad game and wasn't really putting much together, he was able to get it going by passing the ball to Goddard. So that's something to keep in mind. It might be Dallas Goddard time in Philadelphia. He might have already now uh, usurped Zach Ertz on that depth chart. Well, here, let me do some bragging too, all right? I did get two right. So one of the <laughs> ones I did get right was Joe Mixon. So I had a feeling he would be under. And my thinking going into the week was that just kind of like Brady, it would take Burrow some time to really build up chemistry and just to get himself going. So Mixon, I would say for the most part, he did what he was supposed to do. He was on the field for 60% of the snaps. He ran the ball relatively efficiently, but there just weren't that many good scoring opportunities for this offense as a whole for him to really get the value that you needed to hit the over. But uh, one of the other things to point out was Gio Bernard, he just keeps sticking around. And of the six targets that went to the backfield, five of them went to Gio. Mixon did get a lot of those in the back half of last season. So hopefully that trend continues this year as the weeks go on. The one last tidbit I thought would be very interesting to think about, and I didn't factor this in, was talking about how many of Burrow's design runs or scrambles of his own are going to chip away into this backfield. Burrow had eight rushes, and the one touchdown that he did get in, that looked, he looked very impressive on that rush. So I think for Mixon, it's you know about that time to reconsider how much of an influence that's going to have on his overall value moving forward, considering Burrow's ability on his feet. And one thing, too, just to mention, Gio Bernard, I don't know if you've seen his new headshot over at Yahoo Fantasy, great mustache. So just something to keep oh, in mind okay. as well. The last player that I'm going to talk about, of course, I picked the two that I got right here, selfishly speaking. I picked the only two I got Gotta right. Do it. But it was Will Fuller who looked really good against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I shouldn't say really good because he had a great game, 
But for fantasy purposes, he was really good by default because it did not look like Deshaun Jackson, or excuse me, Deshaun Watson had much chemistry at all with Brandon Cooks or the recently acquired Randall Cobb. So it was Will Fuller who had to do much of the heavy lifting for this Texans wide receiver room. And he's someone who in the past hasn't needed a lot of volume to be a productive player. But this season, he might be in store if he can stay healthy for quite a bit of targets. Definitely an uptick from what we've seen in the past now that DeAndre Hopkins has gone to the Arizona Cardinals. Welcome back to the lineup on Yahoo Sports. And now we're going to dive into some news and notes from week one and a rough start for injuries in the National Football League. We'll start off with Marlon Mack, who's out for the season with a torn Achilles. Really bad news for Mack. The impending unrestricted free agent is now going to have to enter without playing almost at all this 2020 season. But for fantasy, this creates an interesting situation now with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines in this backfield, Wes. So first off, obviously prayers up to Marlon Mack. You never want to see anybody go down like that. So, you know, thoughts uh, thoughts with him and hopefully it's a speedy recovery. Uh, when it comes to fantasy implications, I mentioned this on a previous episode. You know my bull take. I said Jonathan Taylor is going to be a first-round draft pick in 2021. So this just accelerates that. Um, how I would approach this in fantasy leagues, if you have a, a Jonathan Taylor owner right now out there and he's not on your team, see if you can make a trade for him. Because I guarantee by the back half of this season, he's going to be in the RB1 conversation week in, week out. And where he gets his value from are mainly two things. Number one, this Colts O-line is the real deal. If you saw the way that they, like how versatile they were in the game, they were able to get a lot of good gaps for the running backs and also buy Phillip Rivers a lot of time. But the second thing is, again, check down King Rivers. If you looked at the way he threw to the backfield, that's a development that bodes really well for Taylor, who showed a lot of skill from a receiving and route running standpoint. So the upside for Taylor suddenly really elevates uh, in week one much earlier than probably any you know, Taylor owner anticipated when they first drafted him. His path to carries is much more clear now. Unfortunately, that it had to yeah. come with a Mac injury, but it is much more clear now for Taylor. And it's also his yards after the catch were really impressive this past weekend as well against the Jaguars. So he looked like he could still get it done in the passing game. Moving forward now to the 49ers backfield. And one thing that caught both of our eyes was the performance of Jarek McKinnon. Now, he didn't get a whole lot of volume but he looked really good when he did have his hands on the ball. Yeah, McKinnon, kind of the forgotten man, right? Like he he was supposed to be a big feature part of this uh, backfield two years ago, but then he got hurt. So, you know, I really like the way he was running the ball. He was incredibly efficient with the looks that he did get. So uh, from a pure running standpoint, he was a very good rusher. You know, uh, Raheem looked really good with the receiving opportunities that he did have. He had the one big play, obviously, where he broke out. But uh, this Niners offense as a whole has so much value. And just like you, I think McKinnon is somebody who could slowly creep up into the RB2 flex conversation. And, you know, he wasn't getting a whole lot of attention, you know, coming into the preseason. Agreed. I still think Mostert is the clear 1A. He's the leader of this backfield. But encouraging signs from McKinnon as well. Moving forward now. 
the New York Jets got some really bad injury news with Le'Veon Bell, who's now supposed to miss the next few weeks dealing with a hamstring injury. And really, when you break this down, it's not a pretty situation for fantasy managers to go out and attack on the waiver wire. I agree with you 100% there. Don't attack it. I would say stay away from everybody in this Jets backfield. I don't think there's any value. And I, even 14, 14 uh, roster leagues, I still don't see Frank Gore having enough value where you should confidently put him into your lineups. That's the type of play where if you need a high floor play and you just need to secure a few points for the win, sure, throw them in your lineups. But I wouldn't expect too much in terms of high ceiling. Neither one of the options in this backfield right now are really going to blow you away and give you RB1 type of production. Another player that really looked good in his first game with his new team was Cam Newton. He played really well with the New England Patriots. Wasn't crazy, wasn't throwing the ball deep or forcing it, but that's how the New England Patriots roll. He ran their conservative offense very well. And I think the most encouraging thing is, especially considering the injury history, is that he looked pretty fearless running the football as well. 15 carries. He had those two touchdown looks. So obviously it bodes well for him from a fantasy standpoint. Um, but my thing, they were playing the Dolphins. So I wouldn't get too excited right now. It's a great start. It's exactly what you wanted if you did draft Cam. But I will say, wait for week two. That's a much better litmus test to determine whether or not this is going to be the QB1 of your team or not. Seattle, they're a very strong defense. They're a Super Bowl contender this year. That's going to tell you a lot more about whether or not this New England offense is as well-oiled as they looked in week one. And lastly, some really rough news. We were kind of wondering why Michael Thomas had such a bad game over the weekend. We haven't seen him have a performance like that. It feels like in forever. But now we know why he's dealing with an ankle sprain and what makes things tough for fantasy football managers is the Saints don't play till Monday night against the Las Vegas Raiders. From like a reality standpoint, if Thomas is actually hurt, I hope they actually rest him and give him a chance to really get his body 100%. This is, again, a legit Super Bowl contender team. Uh, you don't want to rush a guy back when he's not ready. The best thing about this New Orleans offense is that they have so many weapons. If they lose Michael Thomas, they got all these other options who are just as valuable, or I shouldn't say not just as valuable, but they can do their part and still have this offense humming. I, I see Sanders getting a lot of, uh, a big, a big of a, bit of a bump. Jared Cook's going to get a bit of a bump. And your boy Kamara is probably going to get some more looks too. Yeah, I think Kamara will be more involved in the passing game as well. you got to kind of spread the wealth around to replace someone like Thomas, who, as we mentioned earlier, 185 targets for Michael Thomas last season. So replacing that kind of volume it will be important, and it will be a group effort for the New Orleans Saints. That's going to do it for the lineup on Yahoo Sports. That's Wesley Chang. I'm Stephen Sahoyes. And to keep up to date with everything related to the lineup, follow us on Instagram at Yahoo Sports CA. And don't be afraid to hit the subscribe button on YouTube as well. But most importantly, don't forget to go out and attack the waiver wire this week. The options are plentiful.